Welcome back to another episode of the Matt Alexander Podcast. On today's episode, I got Benjamin DeGraff, also known as DJ Elegance. He's going to let us know everything he knows about DJing, how he became a DJ, and entrepreneurship. Stay tuned. Hey, what's going on? I got my boy DJ Elegance on the line with me. What's going on, man? Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning to you, too. I'm just here chilling, just trying to get this work in, you know, no days off. Yes, the hustle is real, as they say. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's all we know. Anyways, I have a couple of questions I would like to ask you today. Yeah, for sure. So first off, I'm going to ask you, what made you want to become a DJ? What made me be- want to become a DJ? Yeah, it's a good, um, a good question. Um, well, first of all, uh, before I jump into that, I wanted to say uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. No problem. And, um, really, really appreciate you uh, reaching out to me uh, to kind of talk shop today. Um, so, yeah, my, my journey into DJing was actually kind of an interesting one. So I guess I'm at a point now where, um, I mean, prior to COVID, I would probably do easily over 150 events in a year. and um, it's sort of funny how my journey into DJing actually started. So for many years, I used to plan uh, my own events and uh, parties and things of that nature. I, I basically gave myself my own experience. I guess the driving force for uh, kind of getting into events and DJing was always that I wanted to get my friends together in one big room. I wanted to see everybody happy, everybody smiling. That was always my motivation. So right. um, on the event planning side, I did like a range of activities and uh, brand ambassador campaigns, product launches, all this kind of stuff. And um, I started doing parties. Yeah. Uh, and um, probably from around 2007 to 2010, myself and two other guys, we would do a 300 person party. And at this time, this is like off topic, but on topic. So at the time I kind of created a party. I wanted to create a party that had, um, old school elements, but then also tasteful new school music. Yeah. And the party grew, grew, grew. And I was really, really involved in the musical curation, the musical programming for the party, because I really, I really knew that if my party, uh, was just another old school party. Like it wouldn't really gain the traction exactly. that I was hoping it would it would get. So the party ended up becoming a monthly party where there would be roughly around three hundred people every uh, every uh, every every time I did the party. Right. And it was really because I had this fusion of like old school music and new school music, and um, I just kind of let DJs have a free reign. So what happened is that uh, with the Obviously, the, well, the advent of Serato DJ, um, which is like a, a program that DJ uses, that a DJ would use to play music. Right. You can actually see on the laptop the tracks that a DJ is going to be selecting uh, to play. So I remember being at a party, and prior to doing my own party, I had already been partying myself for probably a good decade. So I, I partied like Thursday to Sunday, like <laughs> like almost every week, right? You're young, you're 
You don't have responsibility. You just want to look to have a good time. So and you got I the energy. Out. Yeah, so <laughs> literally be, be out all the time. So what ended up happening was that I was really familiar with the combinations of songs that a lot of DJs would play. Right. Um, so I remember one time a DJ was bringing up a song, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, he's, he's doing what I don't want him to do, which is kind of play one song, and then I'm like, I know the next song, and then I know the next song. And I thought to myself, if I know the songs that are going to be played, how much more the audience? And if they know it, like, I don't want them to be bored. So I just told him, listen, don't play this, this song. I go play this song. Okay. And I knew nothing about mixing or blending or uh, BPM, uh, beats per minute, or like matching tempos or energy or nothing. I just, I didn't know any of that. All I, all I felt was just energy. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, play this song. And he played the song, and when I saw the reaction that it gave the crowd, mm -hmm. I just immediately got intrigued. I was like, hmm, I'm like, I don't know the mechanics of DJing, but I'm like, I, I feel energy, and I feel like I know music. Right. So at that point, um, after that point, I decided that I would go to uh, a DJ institute, um, and I went to this uh, DJ institute. It was called Scratch Lab. And then I probably for about two years, I learned. And then, yeah, now this is what I do full time. I do events anywhere between like my smallest show, whatever, like 10 people right. uh, to my biggest event is probably been about 800 people. Wow, that's a lot. So, yeah. So since you do a lot of events and you're in like high demand, I'm sure you offer a written contract, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think typically if you're doing like a bar, a bar gig of some kind, yeah, it's sort of an honor system. It's like, Hey, this is what we pay all of our DJs. And then the end of the night, it's just what you get. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think as a sign of professionalism for any creative person, but particularly people working as DJs and stuff like that, uh, yeah, having a contract, I think kind of helps you to um, separate yourself a little bit from maybe other people who aren't as professional as yet. Right. Um, and I think a contract is a great way to protect yourself. Um, sometimes clients may say, oh, well, we agreed to this. And then the day, the, the night of, if you don't have a contract, they're going to say, well, hey, you said you were going to do this, that, and the third. And you're like, well, no, I, I didn't say that. And then it becomes an argument of like, who said what? Exactly. And it's never, yeah. never a good dynamic to be in that kind of situation. The other thing, too, is that having a contract ensures that uh, the terms and conditions of your work with the client or with the bride and groom or with whoever um, is going to be honored, right? So if you're owed a certain amount of money, if your set time is between one time to another, you can't get abused. And then someone says, no, you got to keep going until I say you're finished. Like it just really is crucial to kind of set some boundaries, but right. I think ensure that you have like official business down. So I definitely would highly recommend anyone to, uh, to get a contract, um, before they start doing work with individuals. Okay, so yeah, um, can you explain how getting paid works? Do you offer like a payment plan? Do you accept cash, checks, or like credit cards, or mm -hmm. do you get like a brown paper bag? They just like 
you know. <laughs> I you. know. Look <laughs> <laughs> under the table and they slip you something. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, typically how typically how it would work uh, for myself, um, and I think this is generally the industry standard, uh, at least in in one way, is that I would normally have a, a like X amount of dollars that you're going to pay me for to do your event, and then for myself, uh, I I generally always do 50% up front right and then maybe seven to three days prior to the event I take the final payment once we've gone over all the details one last time then I would just process the the last payment so okay for myself I mean yeah I, I think it's interesting because I think with technology and everyone becoming a little bit more savvy I mean a lot of people are comfortable sending an e-transfer. Yeah. Um, sometimes I do PayPal. I do Squarespace. Uh, maybe not Squarespace. Sorry, Square. I think is a an app you can use to take take a payment. Um, it's pretty rare that I do a check. I mean, I work with brides and grooms, so generally they're not writing writing me a check. That's more for a not-for-profit organization or or a corporate entity. They would yeah. maybe send me a check, or even sometimes they'll do. Uh, corporate or company credit yeah. card. Yeah. So um, it, it, it just depends. I mean, there's also been times where you'd ask about a payment plan. Yeah, I mean, I, for sometimes for some people, I I may do 25% at time of signing and then another 25% a little bit later on down the line with uh, at an agreed date between myself and uh, the entity. I find that that generally may happen with more a private event or a bride and a groom. Okay. So that's generally how, how I kind of work my payment structure. And I always tell people like, for me, it doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously I would generally want 50%, but even if it's 25 now and 25 later, my whole thing is, um, I, it's not about the money. It's really just about separating the, uh, serious from the curious. Okay. Right. And so it's just like, if we're going to do work, then yeah, like you're going to put down that deposit, you're going to reserve the talent or the DJ entertainment that you want. And then we can just move forward and start talking about planning the event. I don't mm-hmm. want to be chasing you or calling, 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 saying, Hey, when can I get the deposit? Are we doing this or not? So to me, someone who's serious, they're going to, they're going to come forward. They're going to make that payment plan of like that. So they're going to make that deposit or the payment plan or whatever it is, and they're ready to ready to roll and move forward. Right. So what makes you stand apart from the competition? Mm. Um, I think, I think there's a temptation to think that, oh, it's, I'm detail-orientated and I'm super professional and yes. we have amazing lights and we use all the new gear and, all those things. I mean, I think that that's the temptation is to say that, but the reality is that um, everyone else is saying the same thing, right? So I really think the thing that sets me apart is actually me, me being me, right? So uh, when someone, uh, a corporate entity, uh, a not-for-profit organization, a private event for like a Sweet 16 or something like that, yeah, um, a wedding, I mean... I think at the end of the day, what people are, what they're buying, what they're hoping for is a certain experience, but it comes with, with myself, like my personality and, 
of course. my approach and the fact that I that I really care about their day. You know, um, I primarily do a lot of weddings, and um, I mean, a wedding is. Uh, I always tell a bride and groom. I mean, a wedding is a top five life moment, right? Yes. You're going to die. You're born. You have uh, maybe some kind of promotion, right? Um, A surprise birthday. And then there's maybe one other surprise in there, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Or or some other type of big moment in your life, right? So Mm -hmm. to me, a wedding is uh, when I'm, when I'm doing an event for a bride or a groom, um, I just let them know that I'm not, I'm not here to play around. I'm not here to, just do a casual backyard line like this ain't no just basement jam i mean this is this is a moment that you're going to be talking about for the rest of your life and so so you want it to be remembered yeah like i mean i I tell people that like the way i'm working is that i want people to remember your wedding 50 years from now of course so i think when i get that point across to a bride and groom they really you know they can really realize my level of professionalism, how serious I am. But I think also just my passion, right? My passion for really wanting to make a difference on their day. Yeah. And I want their, I want my contribution to their day. I, I want it to be uh, one that helps them to, to just be overjoyed and, and super happy. Right. I want them to be happier. I don't know. I, I'm selfish, but I want them to be happier with my service than even them getting married in of itself. Right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, so I think that's my, that's my approach. That's my philosophy. And I think that, um, that's kind of carried me through. I mean, at this point I have over 50 plus, uh, five out of five star reviews. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would tend to think that I'm, I'm on the right track when it comes to ensuring that, the experience for someone mm-hmm. is a great one. And then I, I've always heard a quote saying that um, if you want to know about someone's business, um, just reading their reviews, that's, that's, that's a great way for you to understand how someone's brand is. Right. And so right. when you have to, what separates me, I think when you, when you look at most of my reviews, it's that, uh, you know, I sort of over delivered, there was a great attention to detail. I was super professional, super thorough, and that everyone had an amazing time. And people had rave reviews to say about my my performance. So that's that's what I'm doing. I'm a performer, right? I'm not just a DJ. I'm of course I'm performing. I'm trying to create a certain ambiance, feel, experience for the guests, trying to bring them into this sort of state of euphoria and and enjoying the love that's in the air and kind of just creating this really magical evening i mean that's that's what you're paying for and i feel like yeah those this is my attitude um and my approach and i feel like this is something that that uh that separates me from other dj entertainment companies yeah um or other djs i've seen on instagram you've posted videos and pictures of you DJing a lot of weddings. So mm-hmm. how involved is the bride and groom in selecting music? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, it's definitely like a key component of talking with the bride and groom. So I would say it depends on the bride and the groom um, or the couple in, in general, like what they might be looking for. My approach DJ-wise is that I do a third, a third, a third. 
Yeah. So I let them choose, which makes up a third. Um, and with that third, it's kind of like the must play song. So for me, I'm like, hey, you guys met. Was there a certain song that was playing in the background when you guys met or whenever you hear it? It, it always remembers you, reminds you of this moment. Yeah. Um, then there's like the do not the do not fly zone, I call it. Uh, Can you explain what that is? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's songs from an artist that they don't like, um, or songs in general that they don't like. So if those songs get on the do not fly zone, it means that I'm not going to play those songs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you offer MC services or do you charge an extra fee if you do that? Uh yeah. I mean, I I definitely. I definitely charge extra if I'm going to be emceeing. It is a different skill set. Yes. And it does require another level of coordination in terms of um, making sure everything goes smooth throughout the evening. I mean, if I'm DJing and announcing names for a couple coming in or if I have to make other announcements throughout the evening for a corporate event or even a private event, yeah, I mean, I... I typically charge more because I'm I'm doing more, right? I mean, right. you can't go to McDonald's or Wendy's and ask for your fries to be biggie sized, right? And then still play and still pay the regular price. So yes, of course. Uh, yeah, typically, if I'm doing more, then I'm going to I'm going to charge more. So okay, um, it's yeah, and just to touch a little bit more on that point, I mean. The MC is is the master of ceremonies, right? The MC is sort of the emotional tour guide for the evening. Yep. Um, so it's not just someone just kind of rambling on the mic. I know that a lot of people have horror stories of maybe an MC making the night about themselves, but trust me, really, you don't have. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? So, I mean, it's just the worst thing that you can do, right? So. I think the idea is to remember that, hey, I'm here for a reason. And if it's at a private event, corporate function, or a wedding, my job is to just guide the evening and kind of create, um, I don't know, like to kind of help keep a rhythm for the evening, right? So, for example, I did this one, I was at a one wedding, and the couple had this amazing intro. They had someone kind of narrating how they met. And they did it with music, right? Oh. So it was like, I don't know, he saw her for the first time. Then it was like, I can feel it now. Like, you know what I mean? Like my terrible singing rendition. But, you know, a, a song would come on, right? And I'm yeah. like, oh, wow, like this is really a dope intro. Like, this is really cool. Like, I've never seen this before. And then it was like, you know, then she saw him. And then it was like, boom, boom, boom. Like another song came on, right? Um, but then what happened was that, after that segment was done, like the MC didn't like, he wasn't a professional MC. So like the segment ended and then no one really knew what to do. Like, are we to wait and expect something else to happen with more music? The couple sat down, like, do we, do we just wait and look at them to get a sense of like, are they going to say something like mm-hmm. the DJ didn't play other music. So then there was like this awkward, awkward, silence right so now if they had an mc there the mc could have transitioned that and saying hey uh doesn't the couple as a couple sits down doesn't the couple look beautiful tonight right let's give them a round of applause right like make them feel good okay hey we're gonna have some music by the dj now 
and everyone can enjoy some conversations at their table, right? Like yeah. just even something as subtle as that, it just helps in terms of the overall tone and feel of the event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, making it feel a little bit more well thought out, a little bit more time. I mean, this is sort of why you, you hire an MC is to kind of smooth over those points. Right. And, um, and then I think the last thing really is so that um, you can kind of regain the attention of the room in a, in a savvy and creative way. Yes. Um, for myself, I mean, sometimes I would just ask a question to the audience and then that would kind of get the voices simmered down. But again, an, un- an unprofessional MC, what they'll do is they'll grab the microphone, they'll say, hello, hello, hello. And then they'll start tapping the mic saying, hey, is this on? Can anyone hear me? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> whistling, right? Like, it's just not the same, right? So, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can kind of see how the role of a good MC, um, very subtle. Uh, you wouldn't notice some of the differences of what they're doing. But when, mm-hmm. when you don't have an MC or you're not working with a professional MC, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can definitely sense the difference in how the the tone of the event is going to roll out yes of course so Mm -hmm. some things may happen at an event you're at right while you're playing is it important to be insured uh yeah i think so um uh well i think it's i think it's like a sign of professionalism i also think it's a way to protect yourself from being sued or uh being liable for something um I think that, uh, like I said, it's just it's just a sign of professionalism. Uh, I do have uh, insurance. I have uh, two million dollars of liability insurance. My my equipment is is also insured. Okay. Um, because yeah, I think um, you just want to ensure that you're safe. You're safe to others. Yes. And um, some venues actually, if you don't have liability insurance, you're you're actually not going to be able to perform. Oh wow. Uh, like DJ services. So I've never kind of heard of a situation where the DJ showed up and then if they asked him, hey, do you have this the night of, and he didn't have it, that they were like, well, get out of here or or you can't play until you show us something. But generally prior to getting into some of these spaces, they're going to say, hey, do you have it? And then if you have it, you may have to send them something in advance to show them. Mm. Or have your insurance broker call or someone reach out, right, um, to them to let them know that this is what's going on. So, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's a sign of professionalism, I think, to, to have it. And I think it's when you talk about how do you separate yourself, I mean, this is, this is another way that a, a vendor can communicate to their client that, yes, like I have this in place. Yeah. And hopefully they, they understand or they appreciate the value of that, right? Yes, so, yes. Okay. Yeah. So leading into my next question, what equipment do you use and what equipment would you advise to an up-and-coming DJ? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think really there's always much debate around uh, turntables, the original turntables, the uh, SL1200, uh, the Technique turntable. Uh, or the newer aged uh, controller, um, maybe for people who are a little bit ignorant of what that is, is a, a turntable is just something that would play the old school records on. Uh, it's uh, motorized, has a platter and everything. It's quite big. 
a lot heavier as well. And you kind of pair that up with the mixer. Yeah. A controller basically is is uh, the, the two turntables and a mixer sort of fused together on one board, whereas the turntable, the old school turntable and the mixer is uh, three separate components that you kind of squeeze together. So okay. uh, a lot of people are moving towards the controller because it's kind of one slab. You can just kind of pick it up and go. Yeah. It's a little bit lighter. Um, so I think it really just depends on the DJ. For me personally, I learned on turntables the original turntable. So for me, my preference would generally be on what I first learned, but I'm versatile enough that I can DJ on uh, CDJs, a controller or technique. Um, but I think it just really depends on the individual's comfort level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to be honest, amongst DJs, there's always like a, a topic or snobbery with one looking down on the other potentially, or people saying you're not a real DJ if you DJ on these apparatuses only. But yeah, I've heard that I think at the end of, Yeah. Like I think at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters to the client really is that they hear the music that they want to hear. They could really care less what you're, what you're playing on. Mm-hmm. Um, so for myself, I have uh still a somewhat new controller it's not it's not brand brand new but it's probably about i think at this point two models behind the ddj the ddj sx2 uh which is made by pioneer and i just like this controller because of the types of events that i do um which i guess would be another reason too when you ask about what type of equipment i think it just depends on the dj so I know that for a lot of DJs, um, so for, it's basically preference, right? Yeah, like it's preference, right? Like, I mean, not to get into too much technicality, but there's like there's Tractor, there's Rain, there's Pioneer, there's Record Box. Like, these are all different uh, programs and different types of equipment that a DJ may want to use. Um, for myself, because I do a lot of mobile events, yeah, um, the controller that I sought out. I wanted to ensure that it had lots of channels um, or lines so that if I wanted to do a variety of things sound-wise, I had the option. I had four options. True, that makes Um, sense. Yeah, the controller also has has, uh, two microphone inputs, which was important to me. Okay. And yeah, there was a couple of other features that were kind of important to me. So that's, that's the reason why I purchased that device and that piece of equipment, which I felt suited me based on the types of events that I do. And I guess I would, I would recommend the same thing to a lot of newer or upcoming DJs is just try different types of gear. You don't have to buy everything all at once. You can rent it from different um, spaces like Long and McQuaid and you can rent something out and then, try it out, test it out and see if you like it. If you like it, yeah, then maybe you want to, you want to buy it. But, uh, I think as you said, it's, it's really about preference. Right. Well, you know, so, so how do you keep your DJ playlist current? Mm -hmm. Um, well for me, I connect with other DJs sometimes for music or song. Uh, the other thing is that I am a part of a record pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, a license record pool, so I pay a subscription every month. Oh, okay. And then I can get 
uh, newest, all the newest, latest tracks that are kind of curated or made in a DJ friendly way. Yeah. Um, that just, uh, just helps us to mix the tracks a little bit easier. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's generally how I get them. Um, I know there's some DJs that would just rip things off of, uh, off of YouTube. Yeah. Um, but it's not something that I would really recommend. Um, in some cases, the, the quality of the file is not going to be good. Um, or sometimes they have weird intros, which can throw off your timing when you're trying to mix and blend songs because it's a little bit harder to kind of count count bars and counting bars are a way for you to be able to to keep the timing yes of course um so yeah so for me i would always recommend that someone would get uh tracks off of a record pool site the last reason why i would say this too is that uh, again depending on the types of events you do for myself i do community events with little children and youth there i do weddings uh, there's a grandmother there or i do a corporate event right and sometimes uh tracks if you're getting them off youtube they're not they're not clean they're like the original dirty version so there's yeah swearing or you know what i mean um if i feel like maybe the song is going to be inappropriate i'm just going to avoid it anyway True. but the Makes last sense. thing you want to yeah like the last thing you want to have is like f-bombs being dropped or <laughs> especially your grandma's in in the house or something like that you know <laughs> Exactly right, um, or worse, at a community event, and then now yeah. a kid starts repeating repeating words that they've heard that you played. Then you're never going to be you're never going to be playing back there again. Yeah, so, it'll be a bad look on you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah, so that's that's generally uh, if you get it off a record pool site, you can get a clean version, a dirty version. Sometimes you can get an instrumental. You can get an acapella in, an acapella out. Um, an acapella in is simply uh, words at the beginning of the song, mm-hmm. um, or an acapella out means that you would just hear words at the end of the song, and uh, the the beat would be a little bit stripped down, right? So okay. um, sometimes that can kind of create a different a different um, a different vibe when you're playing a song. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's why I would kind of recommend people getting onto uh, a site is to get clean and dirty versions yeah. or even what they would call a reworked version of, of a track. So it's like an, a known track, familiar track, but maybe they uh, kind of put a different little beat to it or, or, or something is modified so that it kind of sounds a little bit different. Yeah. So are there different techniques a DJ needs to know depending on the genre they decide to play at an event? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I think it comes down to style. I mean, if I gave you a laptop and you knew how to DJ and then you turned around and gave the laptop back to me, I mean, our style might be very different. What we play might will, will be very different. Um, so, yeah, I think DJ-wise, I think you want to know how to uh, do like a typical 8-bar mix. Um, maybe... Uh, a quicker mix. Um, so maybe doing some scratches, you know what I mean? You may want to do some different things or learn some different techniques that were, are going to help you to um, manipulate the music to kind of give the audience a bit more of a, a different experience. Right. 
Um, and I think with the technology the way it is now, with, with DJing in general, the digitization of the genre, I think that there are a lot of ways in which you can uh, manipulate a track by using the the controls and the knobs on a mixer to fade, to uh, filter out, to do scratches or loops or, uh, you know what I mean? There's so many different options you can, you can do, but um, it all comes down to someone's personal DJ style and it also comes down to what one's appetite is to want to play the music a little bit differently, right? Yeah. So when you see someone looping the beat in certain parts or doing an intricate scratch routine over the track, uh, all that takes like a lot of practice and it takes time to kind of set it up. Yes, of course. Uh, r- r- right prior though, prior to you actually doing it in real time because you want to make sure that if you're doing something kind of funky and cruel that it doesn't backfire in your face. Yes. Um, so you definitely don't generally, want that to happen. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> so generally, generally there's like extra practice that you got to do to kind of set something like that up. Um, so yeah, I think it just really depends on on the DJ or the individual, right? So Yeah. I, I think yeah. I should have asked you this question a lot earlier, but um when you get booked for an event, do you ever provide references? Like do you show like previous videos to them or like how does that work? What do you usually do? Yeah. Um yeah, I mean I, I definitely would do all those things. Um I guess I've learned as a, a sales tactic is self-edification or like edification. So I guess what that means is that you're basically just kind of bigging up yourself or you're, you're, you're bigging up someone else. And I guess what I've learned is that uh, individuals, I mean, we edify each other all the time. I mean, I'm pretty sure for yourself, uh, you've recommended to someone a a good deal on something or if someone was hungry, you said, Hey, you got to check out this restaurant. They have the best wings in town or, yeah, whatever, it works the right? same way. So, yeah, so um, yeah, so I definitely, I definitely do that. So when someone usually reaches out to me, I may send them uh, a testimonial. I may send them uh, me rocking the dance floor uh, because I think people, you know, they, I think people trust you to a certain degree. But I guess it's, as I say, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Yes, it's like a yes. sales sales tactic and. I guess the idea is that, hey, if these people enjoyed it and they had a great experience, then then I will as well, or I should, right? And then when you show some kind of visual or social proof to speak to that, like if I sent them a link for my reviews, I sent them a testimonial, yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, I think, and I'm hoping that for the, for the client, that things are kind of adding up, that they're like, yeah, like this is our guy, like um, look at the testimonials, look at the reviews, like, Look at the dance floor. Look at everyone having a great time. Like, yes, of course. That has to leave an impression on someone's mind uh, when they're when they're considering you, right? And so, yeah. yeah, if it gives me if it gives me a bit of an edge compared to my my competitor, then I definitely want to use it, right? Of so, course, of course. So, yeah. On another note, I know you run other businesses. Can you let us know what they are? Hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Um, so I do three things, and it's all around music and people. So I run a, a DJ academy. I've been doing this for about two years. Oh, really? And I've taught about 30 people how to DJ in that time. Um, I would say of the 30, probably 
uh, like maybe five to seven are still taking it like very seriously. Like right. they're still playing out at functions and gigs and uh, one of them actually started to teach other people now. Oh, wow. Um, and so, yeah, so that's something that has happened and transpired. And then I think my youngest student was eight. My oldest is probably someone in their 60s or um, almost early, or, sorry, late, late, uh, late 50s, I think. Um, and they're out there rocking parties at 50? Yeah, like, I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> wow. I know, like, well, I mean, it doesn't matter what age you are, right? People, yeah, I when know. They, they want to, they want to hear good music. So I, I don't think she's wow. at a club, but she's doing like oh. private parties and things like for her friends stuff. and stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but hey, there's a grandma who's like 90 something and she plays in clubs. She's like a, like bona fide senior. She's like in her eighties or nineties. Is this on and YouTube? She DJs. Uh, yeah. Like I, I think it's, uh, um, I'm not sure uh, what her background is. I don't want to be offensive, but she's yeah. a, an older, an older um, Asian lady. So oh. I'm not sure if she's Chinese or Korean. I'm definitely going to have to search that up. <laughs> yeah, she's like old. She's like 90. She's like up late DJing. She's like, oh, all my friends are asleep, but everyone, everyone watches her do her thing, and she'll be dancing and stuff and playing the music. And yeah, I mean, music is intrinsic to all cultures. So, uh, okay. you know what I mean? People at all ages enjoy music, right? So. True. True. Technically, anyone can anyone can play it, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's one one um, one business I do. I also run a arts based education program, okay. where I take my artistic talents along with some other really amazing uh, artists uh, in the city of Toronto here, um, and we go into schools and we do drumming workshops, DJ, dance, and spoken word. Oh, and I've created a, yeah, I've created, um, like I said, a leadership and mentorship program using arts-based education as sort of the kid at the end of the stick to work with young people and um, the idea is for them to um, learn more about themselves, like to become more self-aware. Uh, we focus on self-identity, self-regulation. Uh, so these are, and sorry, the last one is self-esteem. So these are some of the things that we we do, and we talk about music and pop culture and DJs and dancers and uh, iconic figures. And yeah, we just kind of like use that as a way to kind of make their learning experience more fun. Yes. Um, and so those are like the streams that we, that we offer and that we do. Right. And then uh, that's called the love music initiative, okay. uh, love, love music initiative.com. And if people are interested, they can kind of, check that out or if you know an administrator and you're like, Hey, my students need a bit of a boost or, uh, I want them to learn something and it's more of a creative way, then maybe we're a fit for your, you know, maybe we're a fit to work with your students. So, okay. So yeah. What challenges do you face while running a company or different companies? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, it's just generally, uh, always getting leads, like always getting the next lead, um, I think is, so getting leads, and then I think the next thing is scaling, right? I mean, I have a goal in mind uh, within probably the next few years that I don't want to be running my programs in the same way that I'm running them. I want to kind of step back a little bit and hire more 
more people to help me get involved and help me run things. Um, so those are, those are some things that I think jump out, jump out right away. Um, I think all the other thing too is that, I mean, when you're self-employed, I mean, you know, there's, as you mentioned at the beginning of the pod, there's, there's no days off. Right. So yes, I think you can work less intensely on some days than others because naturally everyone needs a break and a recharge. But I find myself sometimes like always working right without sometimes boundaries. I'm always just go, 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 go. And I have to remember that I have to compartmentalize a little bit. I have to shut things down. I have to take my mind off things so that I can, I can recharge. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that those are, those are some of the things that, and I don't really have the luxury of being depressed down, discouraged for, for too long about my work or where things aren't, the direction things aren't going. Right. Because if I'm wasting days wallowing and self pity over things, I'm not, I'm not going to get paid. Right. Like I don't have, exactly. Uh, I don't, I'm not on the salary where it doesn't matter if I had a great week or a bad week, that money's going into my account no matter what. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, everything is, I'm only going to get out what I put in. So if I put, if I put nothing in, then I can't expect that I'm going to get something out of it. IE meaning getting paid or getting money, right? Like I have to, whatever I hunt for and kill, like it's, it's mine. But if I don't hunt, then exactly, you know, I'm out of luck. So I would say those are some of the, the big challenges, um, kind of doing, doing something on your own or being self-employed. Judging from that answer, you're a one man team. You don't have any other partners who assist you, right? Yeah. Like for for the businesses, no, like I'm like a solopreneur, uh, but I do, I do bring in different, uh, supports like for, certain periods of time in past, not currently just because with COVID there's not a lot of work. Um, but I've had like an assistant or someone help me with certain elements of my business. So I've, I've delegated things. So be it whatever, someone assisting with some invoicing or sending out an e-newsletter or following up with something, you know what I mean? So that Uh, relieves some of the stress that you may have on your shoulders, right? Yeah, I mean, just gives me a little bit of help. I guess um, one lesson I've learned as an entrepreneur is like, if you were to assign a dollar amount to every task that you're doing, like, could you, like, can you afford, can you, can you afford to pay someone else to do that task? Yeah. Um, or, or should you do it? Because the idea is like, if I spend three hours on a task, but someone else could have done that for $15 an hour. Yeah. It's kind of like if I'm charging a hundred dollars an hour, then I've literally wasted $300 on a $45 job. Like it's not good. It's not good math. So you think, Oh, I want to save money and not pay someone. But it's like the time by which you wasted handling a task at my rate being higher than someone else that I would hire uh, just giving hundred dollars as an example. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense. It's a bad exchange of money versus time. So yeah, yeah I think, course. um, I think just learning things like that and becoming a bit more practical are things that I've, I've done, but, um, 
yeah, when you listed challenges, I would say that those are those are some challenges uh, that for me in my business, I think okay. I uh, I face. Yeah. Well, yeah that that pretty much wraps it up for me. You've pretty much explained everything. You went into depth, and I'm sure the listeners will come out of this uh, interview learning a lot more than they did going into it. Right. So Mm -hmm. is there anything else you would like to say? Uh, Yeah, I guess a couple of things quickly. I mean, uh, first off, thanks for having me on the podcast. Once again, reaching out. No problem, Um, man. No problem. You know, I'm, I'm happy you're doing this and stuff. And I think this time of COVID has given everyone an opportunity to slow some things down and dive into some passion projects or figure some things out. So I'm really uh, happy that you're doing this. And I think um, if there's some like last minute thoughts I would leave people is, um, yeah, like I think whatever, whatever you may want to do, I guess if you're looking to jump into entrepreneurship, I would, I would definitely say uh, do it. Um, I remember many, many years ago, uh, I used to work in the bank and I used to work at the business, the business teller and a lot of the big money clients would come in and, I always noticed that with certain guys that had like lots of money in their account, they just had like a different look and swagger about them. Right. Mm-hmm. And a sense of peace and they didn't look stressed. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I remember asking this one guy, I said, Hey, I'm like, what's this? What's it like working for yourself? And I remember he just looked at me in my face and was like, honestly, he was like, it's amazing. And he's like, it's the best decision I ever made. And I think at that time I was still pretty young and figuring out life and figuring out my career path. Right. I didn't fully understand it, but um, the guy told me that almost 20 years ago. And I just remember the guy's face. He was a lawyer. I remember his face and just the way it wasn't how he said it, it was just the way he said it. Yes. And now that I'm an entrepreneur myself, I, I definitely feel like I, I've caught up to what that feeling is. I think the idea of being able to wake up every day, create and carve out your day the way that you want to do it i think is something extremely powerful and something i take a lot of pride in in doing um knowing that myself along with other entrepreneurs that we have displayed enough courage that we decided to step out from the safety of a consistent paycheck or what have you and said hey i'm gonna i'm gonna create my future so i think my advice to anyone who wants to to be an entrepreneur is just go for it and just understand that it's okay to sort of go and grow and it's okay to stumble and figure things out. Um, but just keep moving forward. I mean, being an entrepreneur is an accumulative effect. And so it, it's not about necessarily the big splash, like, Hey, I'm, I'm my own guy now. And there's everything comes to you. It's, it's really about showing up every day and working away at your passion or your craft. Right. And then, you know, when you look back a year, half a year, five years, 10 years, you can see, wow, like, look at the impact I'm having and look at what I've created, right? And yes, some, sometimes it's hard to see that initially, but I can guarantee as you just continue to put your head down and continue to work, I think when you when you look up and look back, you're going to be like, wow, like, look at, look at all the things I've accomplished. So exactly, trust me. Yeah, I would just tell people that, hey, like, just, just keep marching forward. So um, so that's, that's kind of my advice. Okay. So can you let the people know your website and your Instagram and wherever else they can find you? Yeah. Um, I would say that, um, if people want to find more about me, um, 
there's DJ related things I do. There's arts education things I do. But I guess I would say just kind of going to my landing page. Um, if you were to look for me on um, social media, it would be under my name, Benjamin DeGraff. Um, so that the last name is uh, I'm at Benjamin DeGraff on all social. Uh, and that is uh, Benjamin spelled normal. Then it's um, D as in Dennis, E as in Ernie, G-R-A-A-F as in Frank, so Benjamin DeGraff. And then from there, yeah, you can check out uh, my DJ stuff. You can check out my arts-based curriculum. Um, I kind of have my name as, I guess, a bit of a landing page. So from there, you can kind of see all the things that I'm doing at Benjamin DeGraff on IG, Facebook, Twitter, all those things. So um, that's where people can find out a little bit more about me, can kind of stay up to speed on what I'm doing. And uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me, that's how they can find me. What about your Instagram? Uh, yeah, it's at Benjamin DeGraff, the same thing. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that about wraps it up. And again, I would like to thank you for taking the time to come on my podcast for a great interview. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope to do this again very, very soon. Anytime you're ready. <laughs> All right, bro. All right. Okay, take care. All right, later. I would like to thank you for listening to that great interview I just did with Benjamin DeGraff. Make sure you follow and share the Matt Alexander podcast. I'll be back with another episode. Peace. Steady working, I never get no sleep.